Welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, brought to you by spiritualteachers.org. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. Welcome to Journals of Spiritual Discovery. As you know, I'm taking a break from interviewing spiritual teachers to focus on what I'm calling the induction series. The aim is to look at inspired writings, those that carry the living word. Franklin Merrill Wolf called these mystic writings and said, quote, When the voice of the silence speaks into the relative world, the meaning lies between the words, as it were rather than in the direct content of the words themselves. Richard Rose said that if you are interested in looking for essence from the point of the process observer, you can be stimulated only by writings of inspiration rather than reason or direction. And he referred his students to his three books of the absolute. While Rose used the term inspirational, clearly these are not necessarily inspirational writings like you typically would find collected under that banner. Today's reading is a piece by William Samuel. It was recommended by a friend, so I think it's fitting to read what they said when sending it. I really like William Samuel. He has a softer tone to his language speaks a lot about the capital C child within. It's a softer and more innocent approach, which I find unique. His book, The Child Within Us Lives, is one of my favorites. It sits in an, again, unique place for me in terms of spiritual writings. I feel his words a lot, if that makes sense. He refers to undertones in his writing that the child will pick up on. I definitely get a sense of that when I read his work, the message between the lines as such, a silent cadence within. There's a lot of his work like that. One paper in the related paper section I opened today when looking back at the book, and that is... The world is after the fact. Time, space, sequentiality. Many of the world's stories describe the human experience as a mountain climb to light and understanding. Others allude to man's progress as a river's flow to the sea, from movement to rest. All the spiritual books of the world include some kind of tree or seed analogy. We find all of these examples in Judaism and Christianity. These analogies are types of inverted cosmologies, man's return to Godhead. Now that science has developed the technology to look carefully at the smallest particle and the largest, and now that we are beginning to see and understand the processes by which the microcosm and macrocosm evolve, we perceive that the cosmology outlined by Moses in the Genesis account is remarkably straight. 
one might wonder how a man could intuit so accurate a progression of events before a science existed capable of splitting an atom or able to peer outward to the very edges of the tangible universe. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. From science's perspective, we see that the release of the free photon moving light happened in the first billionth of a billionth of a second after Big Bang. Other such precise parallels can be found between the Genesis account and the cosmology of Big Bang, and no doubt more will be discovered. The reader will find some of them for himself in this work. Hoving into view in a different field of science is another cosmological parallel with which the cosmologists haven't yet connected to the Genesis account or even to their own cosmology from other scientific quarters. The scientists who are working with light, laser especially, have discovered the holographic nature of matter. Tangibility seems to be the product of split light. Or, to put it another way, the matter we perceive with our senses has its exact opposite, antimatter. Or, to say it more nearly as Moses did, everything that exists in this universe we walk around in has its counterpart in a higher heaven and earth that precedes it. One might say, using the language of the Jewish and Christian Bible, that matter is image. Image of what? Of another image? possibly an image of the image? What precisely is the image? According to Moses, God's own self-image. Moses used a cosmology that began with God and descended or came down to matter in humanity. Present science has reversed the order of this cosmology and is working with its linear accelerators, its great telescopes, and the mathematics that binds them together, moving in the other direction, backward from the tangible evidence of humanity and matter toward the Genesis beginning. Science moves relentlessly back up to the moment of creation, presently called Big Bang. Listen carefully. The cosmology I have found so meaningful in my own thinking of things is both cosmologies, but with specific rules, like this. We think top-down first. We begin every moment of thought with an ineffable unknowable, which we simply presume exists, the perfect of perfects, God wherein there is nothing that works or makes a lie, wherein there is nothing imperfect, no time, no space, nothing but isness being allness. Then, from that, we bring our attention down from perfection 
to perfection's expression here as our personal situation at hand. Right here in the people, places, and things world where we eat and work and do all the ordinary things of living. We begin our every thought process, subliminally at least, with the consciousness of perfection first. We get in the habit of this, then we come gently to our present state of things in the world to see what we can see. Next, and simultaneously, we look for bottom-up confirmation of isness's good in our personal experiences and in the world. Sometimes one can find this confirmation only in such places as the holy books of the world, or in the marvelous discoveries of scientists as they work their cosmological way upward toward the original. But there is always local confirmation of good at hand if we persistently look for it. I say again, I ask those who study with me to think top-down, but simultaneously to look for confirmation of God's good in the bottom-up world at every hand, because it is here to see. Essentially, this differs from present religious metaphysical practices in the following way. Rather than constantly deny the reality of matter, we look for the purposes and reasons for its appearance. We see that matter is neither real nor unreal, and it appears in and as our experience for good reasons to be understood. No wonder the metaphysician is having such an unsuccessful time. It is difficult to understand something one is constantly denying and can't escape no matter how much he declares it isn't really happening. Science is doing better at comprehending the reasons for the appearances than the metaphysician who runs about denying them. Even the rankest absolutist is finally driven to admit he is persistently having to live in the middle of his denial. Now that we have had a hundred years of looking at it, the denial of matter has accomplished nothing in the world that elevates or helps the quantum scene. The organizations sprung from the first hopes that the denial of matter would be a saving grace are themselves dead in the water, going nowhere, doing nothing barely taking care of their own survival. They are doing very little tangibly for their own members, much less for their unenlightened neighbors across the street. No new light has come out of the, out of the metaphysical movement of the late 19th century, as anyone can see. If the light was there, it would be seen. Light can't be hidden. The matter we see composing the universe is the image of the real universe, not the real universe itself. For me, this world of human confusion and anguish, pollution and self-destructive terrorism, as well as this world of human love, 
light and hope, human courage and stamina, human strength and marvel. This entire overspreading of apparent good and evil is like the wake of the ship, all correctly present to confirm the divine ship's passage before in time. You see, the things we see are all following. That is, they are all after the fact. The light we see is actually delayed in time and space. The divine what exists before the image we see. At this time, human eyes are apparently incapable of perceiving the what, but the heart of us can. Even when we look in the mirror, the image we see is after the fact of the awareness of image which perceives in the image in the mirror. Even when I look at the body that types these words, the fingers I see that seem so important in writing this message are not me, but a following image of the awareness within which these words come to be written. Even the body the doctor examined and made grave pronouncements to is not the body I am but only the image of it. There is a split billionth of a billionth of a second between the real I am and the image I perceive within awareness, even my own body. Go ask a cosmologist how much happens within physical particles within the first few thousands and millionths of a second of their existence. Then ask yourself, if so much can happen in so short a time, how much can happen between my own misconception of identity and my corrected sense of identity? How much can happen between my real body and my perception of the real body? in such a fraction of a second. I can tell you how much. The difference between perfection and imperfection. The difference between seeing a troubled and anguished body one second and feeling a renewed and vital body a split second later. I know this is true because I have lived it true. Now I try and strive to stay here in this fanciful world of fiction following long enough to announce the ship aboard which we all sail in God's justice and dominion. Science has nearly examined the wake of the ship right up to the stern, but science can go no further than that because of the limits of limited light. However, we as life are rightfully aboard the ship 
when we give God what is God's and give man what is man's. It is our duty to come to understand just how this is so, why it is so, and how it has always been so. Then we are to tell our others so that they can perceive these things for themselves and make them their own, just as this is my attempt to tell you. Reader, can you see this simple fact of things following after the fact? If so, you have a most marvelous universe of wonder and amazement soon to open itself to you. The entire purpose of the human experience has been to bring every man to perceive this. I've tried very hard to get this book written while I can. I haven't been able to keep up the schedule I had hoped for. Amazed at the sheer quantity of light I am expected to find words for. I've done the best I could, and I am confident that others who catch the wisdom spoken of herein will take up where this leaves off and carry the equation back to the home from which it originates. In many ways I feel like Moses, standing right on the edge of the promised land, not quite able to cross the river. I've truly spent forty years in the wilderness, trying not to make the mistakes of old, claiming no credit for myself, giving none but to God. Thank you for listening. I do have one special request during the induction series. And no, I'm not going to ask you to buy anything, but I am asking all my listeners to please leave a review on Amazon for my book, Subtraction, The Simple Math of Enlightenment. I know that a lot of you have read it, and if we can get a hundred reviews on Amazon, I'm told that will really help the book stand out and get noticed. So if you enjoyed Subtraction, please go to Amazon.com, type in Subtraction, The Simple Math of Enlightenment, and leave a review. It only takes a few minutes, and you'll help many other seekers simply by giving your thoughts about the book. You don't have to have purchased the book on Amazon in order to leave a review there. So thanks, I hope you can do that for me, and I will see you again on the next episode.